Well, good morning, church. Welcome to week three in the book of Jonah. Um, my name is Tom, and I'm I'm so excited to be be bringing this um, this chapter of Jonah to you. This next instalment to you. Um, if you haven't listened to the first two messages of Jonah, then I would really encourage you to go back onto the podcast and have a listen to them. Uh, Brady is asking those questions of, are we running from God? Are we sleepwalking through our Christian walk? Really good sermons. Go back and listen to them on the podcast. After this one, of course, stay, watch me, then go back and watch Brad. I promise mine will be better. Sorry, Brad. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. They're, they're quite good. They're quite good. Anyway, let me bring you up to speed on where we are in the book of Jonah so far, what the story's been so far. So this guy, Jonah, he is a prophet of God, and he has been sent by God to Nineveh, this, um, this foreign city, to deliver a message of judgment to them. Um, instead, he doesn't think that's a good idea, so he's, uh, he's instead gone down to this local port in Joppa, and he is off to a place called Tarshish, which is literally on the other side of the world, from Nineveh, as far away as possible. Uh, God sends a storm to the boat to stop him going all the way to Tarshish. Uh, He ends up getting thrown overboard to calm the storm. And then God sends a fish, that famous fish, to uh, come and swallow Jonah and to keep him safe for three days and three nights. And that is where we left off last week. So join with me, follow along with me at home as we read from Jonah 1 verse 17, so the last verse of chapter 1, all the way through Jonah chapter 2. Here we go. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to you, Lord. I called to the Lord. And he answered me, From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. All the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. Seaweed, uh, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord." And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I wonder whether this has ever happened to you before. You're out driving uh, and you break a minor road rule. You know, you've entered a turn without indicating or you've accidentally cut someone off or you've been rolling up to an intersection and you've had to slam on the brakes as someone's come ripping out of your blind spot. Um, I know for me, whenever something like that happens, up pops my left hand and it's uh, sort of in the middle of my car trying to get the attention of the person behind me or in front of me. Um, It's almost like an apology. It's an apology hand. 
Uh, it says, I swear I'm not a bad driver. It says, this isn't my first time operating a vehicle. And it also says, although I love cereal, I, I definitely got my license from Vic Roads, I swear. It says, cut me some slack. Give me some grace for the mistake that I just made. But what about when the shoe is on the other foot? Someone else hasn't indicated when they're making a turn, someone else has cut you off, or someone else has, um, hasn't seen you in their blind spot and you've come ripping out for them. Um, when I, I first started driving it, and like even a little bit today, in fact, still plenty today, um, through my mind it goes this thought of, who are you? Who taught you to drive? And which cereal box did you get your license out of? Because it certainly wasn't the one that I got mine out of. My cereal's way better. Um, you know, back when I was first starting to drive, um, I was ready to throw the book at the other person. Um, there was, was zero grace about what I was doing. I had in my head that when I made a mistake, that I deserve grace. I know what I did wrong, don't judge me really harshly, I know how to drive. But when others made a mistake though, I was almost looking for an, an apology. I was looking for the proof that they knew what they were doing. You know, I, I was wondering whether they actually knew how to drive or not. But you know, like it's a little bit extreme, but you know the feeling, right? That sometimes there's this two-way rule for grace. When I need it, it's right for me to expect it. But when someone else needs it, it's a little weird for them to expect it. Jonah 2, Jonah 2 focuses on the personal forgiveness that you or I need. And it provides us with this really slick model of how forgiveness works. Um, three steps, three simple steps to forgiveness. God shows us mercy, we repent, and then God forgives us. It's nice, short, sweet. And the big point that I want to make this morning is that God's forgiveness is for you. God wants to forgive you. So let's dig in and have a look at mercy, repentance, and forgiveness in Jonah 2. The most important point that I want to make right from the outset is that it's God's mercy that makes the first move when it comes to forgiveness. So look with me in Jonah 1.17 there. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is very clearly God's mercy. God is saving Jonah. God is saving this guy who up until a second ago was actively running away from what God wanted him to do. If you remember back to um, the last couple of minutes of last week's sermon, Brad was saying that um, even before the fish, God's mercy was still at work. Um, God's mercy was shown in the stopping of the storm once Jonah was in the water. But now, in a blatant attempt to one-up the senior pastor, I'm going to go another step further back, and I'm going to say that we can see God's mercy in him sending the storm in the first place. God's greatest judgment on you isn't in sending storms to hinder you on your misguided path, but rather in not sending a storm to hinder you. What is more merciful? Knowing someone is doing something that's going to destroy them and stopping them, or knowing someone is doing something that's going to destroy them and letting them do it. We see this in, uh, in Paul's writings in Romans 
chapter 1. Uh, we see that this type of action is God's judgment against sinful humanity. God doesn't stop the people from doing what they want, but he instead lets them continue doing it. He gives them over to it. Uh, I mean, and again and again, you hear this refrain in the, the last part of Romans chapter 1 of, so God gave them over to whatever it is. I remember as a young Christian, I didn't understand how that could be. How is it that um, giving, pe- letting people do whatever they want is judgment? And how is it that stopping people from doing whatever they want is mercy? I, I didn't get it. But then a little later on, I-, I realized that those who don't turn towards God and are doing whatever they want are simply heaping up judgment against themselves. They're going deeper and deeper and more and more into their sin. But those who have who have turned to God, have been sent the storm of conviction. They've been sent the storm of conviction. Jonah is running away in the early verses of chapter 1. God's greatest judgment on Jonah would have been to just let him run. It would have been to give him the quickest winds. It would have been to give him the smoothest sailing over the Mediterranean, to make this record time from Joppa to Tarshish. But instead, The great mercy is found in the correction, in the chasing, in the storm. God is after Jonah, and he's after you and me in our wandering too, correcting and convicting and chasing us to the ends of the earth. But heaven help you the day that you settle in your sin, the day that you begin enjoying it, the day that you stop thinking of God when you take part in it. God's mercy always makes the first move. In sending the storm, in calming the storm, in sending the fish, grace is alive and acting long before Jonah repents. Can you feel God chasing you? Can you see his mercy at work in your life, getting your attention and turning you back from sin, back toward Jesus and the freedom found in the cross? Sometimes a storm is just a storm and you have to row hard to get out of it. Invite some people on board to help you row hard and to get you out of the storm. But sometimes those same people that you invite in to the boat have to throw you overboard though. Sometimes the greater mercy isn't to row hard but to set you back on the right track to, um, to what God wants you to be doing and not what you want to be doing. Sometimes God's mercy is a storm. Sometimes it's a fish. But it happens first, though. God shows mercy, which leads us to repentance. We see Jonah showing repentance all through chapter 2. The prayer that we find in here is emphasizing the change in Jonah. Um, He doesn't explicitly say the words, sorry, or I know I did the wrong thing. But it's very clear that he's figured out that he was in the wrong here. In verses 3 and 4, Jonah acknowledges acknowledges God as the one that has put him in the fish. You hurled... So I'll I'll read verses 3 and 4. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and all the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. 
I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Jonah sees God's action in his predicament. Uh, he sees that it's linked to his running away and to his disobedience. The most important note about repentance is that it isn't merely not doing the wrong thing, but instead turning and doing the right thing. Jonah's repentance isn't in him saying, my bad, drop the ball, sorry for running away, but in also going back to what God wanted him to be doing in the first place. When I repent in my life, <clears throat> I can't just say, my bad, sorry, drop the ball, but I have to turn away from the bad and towards the good. It's one thing to simply stop running away from God, but it's another thing entirely to begin running back to him or towards him. It's not just the apology hand on the road when I know I've done something wrong, but it's turning my indicator on at the next turn. Um, let me put repentance in the, using the, the analogy of a math equation, <clears throat> a maths equation. Sorry, I'm not American. Um, I was going to use a Mario Kart example. You know how uh, when you fall off the map, there's that cloud dude that sets you back on the map again. Um, his name's Lakitu, and he, I was going to say that he, instead of going the wrong way, you're set going the right way. It's going to be a bit of a long bow to draw. If you know what I'm talking about, you know. If you don't, don't worry. I'm about to give you another analogy. So we see a student uh, and they're doing a, a long maths equation and somewhere along the line they go wrong. And so they keep going for a little bit longer and then a little later they realize that they've made a mistake somewhere in the beginning and now they've got a couple of choices. Do they keep going and know that they are using the wrong numbers and still try to get the right answer from that? <clears throat> do they stop what they're doing and just leave it alone and not get the wrong answer? Or do they go back and they retrace their steps, find where they went wrong and then make it right and keep going from there? Which one is more like repentance? Obviously the third one, right? Obviously. But sometimes we treat it like it's the second one. Sometimes we treat it like it's just the stopping as long as we don't keep going to get the wrong answer, then that's as good as getting the right answer. But that's not it at all. True repentance looks like going wrong and then turning back to begin going the right way again. When we find ourselves swept up in God's mercy, realizing the helplessness of our situation, then it makes sense to confess our wrongdoing to God. But then it also makes sense to go on differently, to not go back to the old patterns and actions, but change. God's mercy makes the first move, and then we make the second move in repentance. And genuine repentance leads to forgiveness. Forgiveness in Jonah 2 is quite interesting. Um, Jonah, we can see Jonah and God both acting in this little section here. Jonah is anticipating through his prayer this glowing, glorious moment where he's welcomed back into God's good graces and he's sacrificing at the temple and he's worshipping and he's, you know, being super duper faithful. 
But God's action in forgiveness could not be more anticlimactic. Less anticlimactic? More anticlimactic? It couldn't be more anticlimactic. So look at me in verses 2, 6, and 9, where we see Jonah anticipating his forgiveness. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. But you, my Lord, brought my life up from the pit. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah is fully expecting to be forgiven by God after he has repented. How bold is this? How true is God's faithfulness that we can anticipate forgiveness following repentance like this? It's a great comfort to know that God hears us no matter where we are and forgives us. Jonah hasn't gone to the temple and made sacrifices yet. He's done nothing. He's just offered this prayer to God. He's just in the fish, but yet he's anticipating God's forgiveness. And God does forgive Jonah. It looks a little weird though. It's probably not as glorious and glowing a moment as Jonah had in mind. Look at me in verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Not quite as dignified as Jonah would have wanted. I bet Jonah was relieved though. Relieved to feel the sun on his face. Relieved to be breathing the fresh air. And relieved that God had forgiven him, relieved that he'd been given this second chance. It is so important that you hear me say that Jonah did nothing to earn God's forgiveness. He didn't say the magic words. He didn't wave the magic wand inside the fish. He simply offered his heart and that was enough for God. When you repent sincerely, God forgives. When you repent sincerely, God forgives. Even if you are still turned toward the bad, God can help you repent properly and turn to him. The great love and concern that God has for Jonah can be seen in how gently Jonah is treated. He never yells. He never raises his voice. He never punishes Jonah unduly. But mercy is following Jonah, calling him back. God is calling us back to himself. Like I said in my big point at the start, forgiveness is for you. God wants to forgive you and welcome you back into relationship with him. It doesn't matter how far gone you feel. You may feel like you are in that boat on the way to Tarshish. You might feel like you're just about docked in Tarshish. Heck, you might even feel like you've been living in Tarshish for a number of years now, but it's still not too late to repent and turn back to God and to be forgiven. Um, when I was preparing this message, uh, the words of that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, kept coming back to me. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. I was worried I was going to forget those words 
because how embarrassing. I've been in church for how long? Oh my goodness. This is, uh, this is my lowest moment of um, church. Crikey. We were all once wretches saved by God's good grace. Our eyesight healed by his grace. We were found by his grace. How great a message is that to hear. But here's the problem with Jonah. This slick three-step process is great for Jonah. Mercy, repentance, forgiveness. It's, it's awesome for Jonah. If you think of the entire story of Jonah as a parable, then the message is this. Forgiveness is not just for Israel, but for the nations as well. In the next couple of chapters, you will see something happen. You will see Jonah forget. You will see him forget the wrong that he did to God. You will see him forget the mercy that God showed to him. You will see him forget the repentance that he needed to offer and the forgiveness that he was met with by God. He will act like he is more worthy of forgiveness than the Ninevites are. He will act like he is the arbiter of God's grace. He will, <laughs> he's gatekeeping forgiveness. He's gatekeeping forgiveness. This two-way expectation about God's grace has come in. It's available for Jonah, but it shouldn't be available for the Ninevites. How is it that Jonah deserves forgiveness and the people of Nineveh don't? How can it be that someone who was once disobedient and needed forgiveness isn't willing to go to a city that is disobedient and in need of forgiveness? Jonah was happy that God's grace was for him, but apparently can't stand the idea that grace could be for the Ninevites too. Forgiveness is a really easy thing to talk about in church. It makes the, the regular attenders feel nice. Mercy, felt that, felt God's mercy. Repentance, yep, done that, repented before. Forgiveness, living it out, just living in it every day. How good is God? How sweet the sound of amazing grace which saved a wretch like me. But do we leave forgiveness there? Do we extend the offer of forgiveness properly to the people around us? Do we tell them of this amazing grace or do we expect them to find it on their own? Do we follow when God is telling us to go into our community and share grace with the people in it? Going back to the driving analogy from earlier, are we happy receiving grace for our mistakes but not giving grace for other people's mistakes. Um, nowadays, when I'm out driving and I see someone make a mistake on the road, I will admit I'm not perfect. Initially, through my head go the questions of, where'd you get your license from? Do you know how to drive? But then I remember all the times where I have done something like that. Remember the times where I haven't flicked on my indicator or I miss someone in my blind spot or I cut someone off when I thought there would be a little bit more room there. And I've got to tell you, I tend to find a lot more graces there for other people 
when I keep in mind where I have come from and the mistakes that I have made, I guess I kind of lied about my big point for this morning. It should be this. Forgiveness is for you, but it's not just for you. Are we as the church like Jonah? Have we forgotten where we have come from as Christians? Do we expect perfection from the visitors that walk through the door each week or log on to our services each week? Do we require righteous living from people far from God when we don't even require it from ourselves? There is something horrific about singing the words of amazing grace and then living like that, not accepting the wretchedness of other people after God overlooked all of our wretchedness, being overjoyed that we are found while not looking um, while looking on with disdain at the people that are still lost, celebrating our vision while not helping the people who are still blind. Don't forget where you have come from. Don't forget the forgiveness that you required when you were once far off from God. Maybe you are in need of forgiveness this morning. Maybe Jonah in chapter 2 has been speaking to you. You feel like you are running and God's mercy is chasing. Follow that prayer of Jonah and seek forgiveness. Repent sincerely and believe that you are saved. God has so much grace and so much love for you. Forgiveness is for you. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while like me. And maybe that you have forgotten the grace, that grace that has been shown to you by God. Perhaps you can relate a little bit to that feeling of gracelessness that can creep in. Expecting perfection from people to earn forgiveness. Expecting them to come found and with 20-20 vision, despite God finding us when we were lost and in blinding darkness. I encourage you, think of where you have come from and take heart. Take this good message of forgiveness that we have received out to the people in your life. Tell them of God's mercy and the incredible change that he has made in your life. Let us gather a great many people around us to echo the words of Jonah 2.10. Salvation comes from the Lord. Let's, let me pray as we end this morning. God, we just thank you so much for this gift of forgiveness. God, we thank you that you have been chasing us down ever since we arrived on the planet. We thank you for your mercy, which doesn't stop chasing us. We thank you for this gift of repentance, which may, may feel so bad, but helps us turn from the bad and toward the good. And God, we thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace, this thing that covers over our wrongdoing. God, would you help us to apply it to our lives properly, to be forgiven properly? And God, would you help us to take it to the people around us, this message of your mercy, this message of your forgiveness? God, would you go with us this week as we share that with the people in our lives? In your mighty and powerful name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, join us again next week, but go out and serve the Lord and love the people in your life. God bless.